Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, September the 8th, 2022. It is currently 1.52 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studios located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, I know there's so many series that I'm currently working on, and I know that there are a lot of series that I'm way behind on. That is the story of my life. There is more to talk about on any given day than I can ever do so, even if I was broadcasting for 24 hours a day. I still would not be able to get to everything I want to talk about. We need to talk about things we need to discuss. But I do my very best, but just because I have, you know, all of these series I'm working on, that never really stops me from, well, going ahead and creating a new one (laughs) as I see fit. Now, I know you may disagree with me, and that would be perfect (laughs) for illustration purposes. I mean, I know that some of you are like, you never finished this, and you didn't finish that, and you're way behind in this, and what are you doing? And you criticize my my organizational abilities. You, You criticize my ability to stick to one thing. I understand you disagree and how I do things. I understand that. And thank you so much for disagreeing, because that is perfect. Because we have begun a series I still haven't created everything. Someone's already made the artwork for it, but I'll get it all set up on the Church One app here uh, this afternoon or this evening. I'll get it all set up. But we've started a series where we are looking at, well, the, the, the first message was called Steps to Unite the Church. So we've started a series where we are looking at steps designed to help the church unite. Now, That is what we're going to try to do. Now, I did not come up with these steps. I'm using an article that was written, and I'm just curious to work through their steps. Now, I could probably do this in one episode, but what we're going to do for the series is just take each step for one individual podcast episode, and possibly we may take one step and make it two or three episodes, depending on how long it takes us to really unpack the step itself and for for to give opportunity for you to give your thoughts and your feedback. But let me start with my basic premise, my basic, it's not even a thesis because it's a fact. My factual premise is this, Christianity is divided. Christianity is a a, a perfect example of disunity run amok. Christianity is broken when it comes to how disunified we are. Christianity is broken and just how divided we are. We don't agree on anything. And in part one of this, I really kind of just went through a lot of the things we disagree on. But I'm just, I could take any passage of scripture. The last live broadcast, we looked at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 10, because we were looking at Jonathan Kahn, the author of The Harbinger, and how he completely does things with that verse that I don't think anyone should be allowed to do, but hey, he thinks he's right and everyone else is wrong. He thinks his interpretation is correct and everyone else's interpretation is incorrect. We can't even, we can't even agree on the principles we should use to interpret a verse, much less on the actual interpretation of a verse. And it is maddening to me. It, it is discouraging. It is depressing. It frustrates me. Look, most Christians don't seem to care. Well, you know, they can believe what they want to believe. We we believe what we want to uh, believe. And somehow we still are holding hands and singing Kumbaya. I don't get it. 
it should disturb every Christian. But for some real, for some strange reason, many Christians are just like, well, that's okay. There's a church here. There's a church there. There's a church here. We all claim to believe something. We all claim that we have truth. And it really doesn't matter. It should bother us. But are there steps? That's the question. Are there steps to fix the division, to fix the disunity? Are there steps that could bring us all together? I'm going to argue. Now, this is my thesis that I'm willing to be proven wrong. My premise is that Christianity is divided beyond repair. It is, it is disunity run amok. That is my, that's a factual premise. My thesis, my hypothesis is this. It cannot be fixed. It will not be fixed. And it will only get worse and worse and worse. Now, I'm willing to read any article or any book that says, here's how we fix it. I'm all ears. So let's see what they have to say. Let's go back to the article. Seven Steps is the name of the article to help unite the Church of America. It was Jesus himself who said, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Now, if that verse is applicable to the church, then I don't know how the church is still standing because it has been divided with itself for basically from very early on. Even at the church of Corinth, there was division in the church of Corinth. The church has been divided for a very, very, very long, basically 2,000 years of its history. So if that verse is true, how is the church still present? If when I say that verse is true, if that verse is true as far as it is applicable to the church, is that the correct way to handle that scripture? Well, the author seems to think it's relevant because that's where he starts. If Jesus himself, it it was Jesus himself who said, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Then look at the very next words. The same applies for the church. If we are divided against ourselves, I got to stop right there. If, so your statement is the same applies to the church. Okay, let's say you're right. Well, then don't say if we're divided against ourselves, we have been divided against ourselves. There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of different Protestant groups who can't agree on the most basic things. We can't agree on salvation. We can't agree on baptism. We can't agree on the Lord's Supper. We can't agree on so many very, 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 very fundamental concepts. So I agree. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to play along and say, okay, yes, Matthew 12, 25 applies to the church. Let's just play along. Let's go along with your thesis, your hypothesis. But your next sentence cannot be, if we are divided, because the next sentence needs to be, since we are divided against ourselves, the church is ruined and will not stand. Or you you actually should write the next sentence, since the church is divided against itself, it is ruined and it has fallen. But he places all in a hypothetical if. If we are divided, we will be ruined and we will not stand. Well, how can you say if we are divided when church history proves we've been nothing but divided? 
And if we, the people of God in America, will not stand, neither will our nation. Now, I, now all of a sudden he goes from the church to the nation, which this is supposed to be about the church. I'm not going to get into the whole nation discussion. But how can we unite when there are such deep divisions and differences among us? Unity is of no use if it's not based on truth. Now, there I agree. It has to be based on truth. It has to be based on truth. I agree. And what is truth? Now, I will hear Christians from New York to California and everywhere in between. Truth is the word of God. We have truth. Oh, we sound so certain when we say that. We have truth. The world is stumbling around in darkness with no truth. But us as Christians, we have the truth. Oh, really? Do we? Okay, let's, let's say that we do. Can any two Christians agree on what is true? Because all I see is disagreement and disagreement and disagreement. So is truth really defined by the word of God? Or is truth defined by each individual Christian? Because if we have truth, and there's no unity without truth, and we have the truth, then we should be the most unified group of people on the face of the earth because we have truth. And we supposedly base everything off that truth. So there should be complete agreement in that truth. Unless what's really determining what is true is not the Bible, but us. I will argue that it's us. And I'm saying that as someone who strongly believes in sola scriptura. I just believe it's a theory that we claim, but we don't really practice. And that's a whole different podcast in and of itself. It says, unity is not real if it's founded on ethical or doctrinal compromise. I completely agree. Unity will not stand if it's only skin deep. I agree. How then can we come together as one in true and meaningful way when we're so far apart on so many issues? I'm not talking here about uniting with professing Christians who deny the authority of Scripture and do not even believe Jesus rose from the dead. They're not part of God's true church. Well, the problem is we don't even agree on who is a part of God's true church. Let me give you an example. A Lutheran baptizes a baby. that They claim that baby regenerates the baby. Are they saved? How about a church of Christ? How about assemblies of God? It says you can lose your salvation. I, I can go on and on and on. How can we unite as the force God intends us to be when we can't even get along? Now, it goes on and says a lot more here, but I'm not going to go back and review all of that. Here we go. With the goal of seeing God's people unite around him rather than divide over politics or social issues, here are some principles to put into practice. The fate of the nation, not to mention the reputation of Jesus in our land, depends on. And I don't know why you would say the fate of the nation. No, the fate of the church. But if, he, if you're being honest with this, the church has been divided for 2,000 years, so we should not be standing. The church has already fallen. So this should be, how do we fix the church? How can the church stand once again? If we're being even halfway honest with the reality of church history, the church has been broken and divided for, for ever. So let's, however he wants to word it, here are his seven steps that supposedly will fix this and the church can be unified once and for all. I am so glad. The people post their great answers on the internet so that we can fix this problem. Didn't you know that it was all we needed was the internet and someone posting an article to fix the disunity that's been a part of church history for 2,000 years? I am so glad it's all been fixed, okay? I'm so glad. All right, here we go. Number one, 
Now, I'm not saying that he has these listed in order of importance, but I'll say his number one, the first thing that he came up with, typically when people write these kinds of articles, especially if they just go one, two, like they don't go seven, five, four, three, two, one. They don't count down. Typically when they just count in a normal way, then I would think that their strongest point is at the beginning and not the end. If you're going seven, five, four, if you're counting backwards, then your strongest point would be the last one. So I'm thinking that he's going to come out of the gate sweet. Here's what we got to do. This will fix it. We can stop the division. We can stop the disunity. And here we go. Are you ready? Number one. That's supposed to be a drum roll. I should probably grab pencils and you, okay, but all right, that's a poor drum roll, but here we go. Number one. Recognize that unity is important to the Lord. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just have to laugh a little. Christianity has been divided for 2,000 years, and your best step to unity is recognize that unity is important to the Lord. All right, let, let's see what they have to say. This is, all we're going to cover is one point here. All we're going to cover is one point. I'm not going to go any further. Uh, I'm just, I'm going to, if these are shorter episodes, that's okay. Some people uh, complain about the longer ones. So if I can mix in some shorter ones, then, then maybe I can give people enough variety that will keep all of the listeners happy. All right, here we go. You ready? Here we go. Recognize that unity is very important to the Lord. Take a few minutes and reread John 17. Remembering that this is the longest prayer of the Lord recorded in scripture also containing some of his last words he spoke before his arrest and crucifixion. Unity matters deeply to the Lord, and it should matter to us. Well, let's just go to John 17. We don't have time to do an exposition of this, but let's just find... He does, the author doesn't even point out which words in 17 and John chapter 17 that we should focus on. He doesn't even look like, look at these six verses. He doesn't even, he, nothing. That's all he says. So according to him, the first step in us being unified is we all need to realize unity is very important to God. Now, I would just have to ask this question at this point. I don't know how this brings about unity. This, to me, brings about a, a, a total sense of disillusion disillusionment that i'm just i'm i'm disillusioned i'm sick i'm tired of everything about christianity in this sense that all we do is fight and argue so if if unity is important to the lord it hasn't been important to the the church forever i mean just think of all the different groups and fighting and arguing church splits the methodists right now are splitting all kinds of different groups southern baptists are always on the verge of some kind of split and fighting and arguing it's this and that and this and that local churches fighting and people getting mad leaving a church going to another church it's just never 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 stops so let's see what we can find in john 17 these words spake Jesus, and he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, this hour has come. Glorify the Son, that the Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. I would just like you to know that we can just go to John 17 too, and you can get 10 Christians in a room. There wouldn't even be an agreement on what that means, that, that, uh, that he should give eternal life to as many that has given that thou hast given him. 
because some people will see that means the only people who will be saved are the ones the father gave to the son. He clearly didn't give everyone to the son, so not everyone's going to be saved. And that salvation is not based on what we do. It's based on father electing and giving those to the son, and then those are saved. But there would be disagreement right there. So it's funny. Hey, John 17 shows us that unity is important, and we would not even agree on how to interpret the second verse in John chapter 17. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Now, we start in verse 6. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine that thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they might be one as we are. So Jesus prays that they may be one. Now, question, is he praying that they, the original disciples, the apostles, the foundation, in a sense, a foundation to the early church? I know we can say there's no other foundation other than Jesus Christ, we can, but the apostles are kind of referred to as a foundation. You get the idea. But these very critical people, that they remained one. Let's see if he expands this idea of one to beyond those disciples. Let's, let's see. Verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou. John 17, 21. Now, this is a prayer that we, those who came after the disciples, would be one. Now, it's one thing to write an article and say, hey, we just need to recognize that unity is important to God. Well, that, I think that would be more than unity is important to God. Jesus prayed for it. So we have, we have some very big difficulties here to figure out. So let me try to explain this. Jesus prayed for it. So somehow this was like a general desire, a general will. But that unity of the church 
was not a part of God's sovereign purpose because it has not occurred. And God works all things according to his purpose and his goodwill. So was this just a desire? Do we just see this, that Jesus desires that they would all be one, but it was never the the eternal plan of God because it hasn't happened? It's never happened. That, that That's something we'd have, have to possibly consider. Here's a second thing. Jesus prayed for it, but his prayer wasn't answered, which would raise some serious questions, right? Because one God, three distinct persons, but is, this, is Jesus praying this in his humanity? But it's not a, well, that goes back to it not being a God's plan. Is this just, just Jesus' answer, Jesus' prayer is just not answered? How do we understand this? Because the reality is it hasn't occurred. Now, the go-to solution, so so is this just like expressing Jesus' general desire, but it's not part of God's sovereign plan? Or is this just Jesus, somehow his prayer is just not answered, and we can't really understand that? Or this is a very important one. Here's another possible concept, or at least something to consider. Most people try to answer this, going, well, we are one. See, we're all baptized by the Holy Spirit into one body, so we're all one in that. Well, why would Jesus have to pray for that if that's just the way it was going to work? Hey, you get saved, you're one. So is Jesus praying that we would all be one when in reality that there is no, we're, we're one, not without doing it. We don't have, nothing has to be done. It's just there. And is that the kind of unity he desires? Because if the only unity he desires is that you're a Christian, I'm a Christian, we don't agree on anything, but because supposedly we're a part of some invisible church, some invisible body, then that meets the requirement. So there is unity. So in other words, is the only unity Jesus was praying for was the most basic general unity that doesn't have any practical implications on anything. You're over in your church thinking that I'm wrong. I'm over here thinking that you're wrong. You interpret scripture completely different. You make truth claims. I make truth claims. Our truth claims completely contradict one another. We don't agree on anything, but hey, somehow we're one and some invisible body that no one can agree exactly who's in it. Does that work? Or... Has the church been in rebellion to God's plan for a very, very long time? But then that would go back to why wasn't Jesus' prayer answered? See, that that's not easy. Now, he doesn't, the author doesn't bother to explain any of this. That's all he gives. I, so, so, you know what? Let's get 50 Christians together. Unity is important. Yes, unity is important. Unity is important. Okay. So who cares that we think it's important? There, It hasn't been uh, demonstrated in any meaningful way for the most part of 2,000 years of church history. And it's not, especially since the Protestant Reformation, but I'm saying you can go back to the seven ecumenical councils. Why were they having those councils? Because there was massive disagreement within the quote unquote, the church. The only difference is the church met in a unified way at a council and said, this is the truth. And if you disagree, you are anathema. But that kind of structure of that kind of unity slowly disintegrated, especially by the time you get to the Protestant Reformation. So even if you want to say, well, there was some unity in the first, you know, first 1,500 years of the church, okay, but unified in what? Because a large portion of that, wouldn't that be the Catholic Church? Yeah, we can get all kinds of historical issues. But saying that it's important to Jesus, I don't know really what that accomplishes, 
can there ever be unity in, in, when there's thousands of different denominations? Can there be unity if we can't even agree on the principles used to interpret Scripture? Can there be unity when our theological and doctrinal systems are absolutely opposed to one another? I'll just throw this out there now. I I won't go into detail here because we're getting ready to wrap this up. I think the reality is we can say, well, I don't even think this works, but I think the only unity we even have any hope of trying to accomplish is unity within one local body. The only problem is the unity within the local body. You know how long that unity lasts until someone in the body disagrees and then they're like, peace out, dog, leaving you. And they go find another church. So how, how unified are you when as soon as you reach a certain level of disagreement, you're like, I'm just going to go find a church that agrees with me. I mean, unity is, is fraudulent even in the local churches. You say, that's not fair to say. It is fair to say. Because everyone's like, amen, we're in agreement. Wait, I disagree. Sorry, you're wrong. I'm leaving. All right. There you go. So according to this, the first step of unity is for us to all acknowledge that unity is important to God. Well, if unity is important to God, why is there such disunity and division? If Jesus prayed for it, why hasn't it happened? So you either have, it was just a general desire that wasn't a part of God's sovereign plan. You have Jesus' answer was just, the answer to Jesus' prayer was no, which raises all kinds of questions. Or you try to come up with some answer that, no, Jesus is praying for something that just automatically happens when everyone gets saved. When Jesus prayed for it, now when we get saved, we're automatically one, but it's a unity that has literally zero practical value on anything. We don't meet together. We're not around each other. We don't even know who's in this invisible body, but hey, we can say the invisible body fixes it all. Or you have to acknowledge the church maybe has been, I don't know, in violation of God's desire for a good portion of its history. You tell me what you think. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Please remember, I still want your list of three things that you think would bring unity within Christianity. Three things that you think would work. (laughs) Three things. I keep asking for these three things and some of you are being so rebellious. You're not giving me your list of three things. I'm going to start knocking on people's door. I want my three things. I want my three. I'm going to, at two in the morning, I'm going to be outside your window. I want my three things. I want my three things. I want my three things. And people are going to be like, oh, this has gotten creepy. You're going to be calling the cops. Hey, this crazy podcaster is telling me I've got to give him a list of three things. Remember, there was all those three things I asked for. Remember? Does everybody Remember? Come on, you have to remember. I'm going to ask everyone in my church on Sunday if they remember all these things. Remember, I wanted a li- three things the church needs to, do, to be teaching young people. Three things missing in preaching today. Three enemies within the church. And three things we can do to bring about unity within the church. All right. All right, I'm going to stop. Thanks for listening. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. We will continue to work through these three things. And uh, I'm just, I'm just, or well, more than, I'm sorry, these seven steps. I'm going to give you a list of three things at some point, but we're going to look at their seven steps to unity. We've covered one, which I don't really understand. Uh, to me, it just highlights the problem. 
exasperates them. It doesn't fix anything. All right, you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great day. We'll be back on the air at some point this afternoon, this evening, tonight. I don't know. We will see because we are way behind on so many things. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.